they aren't into sleepovers, I understand. No, I didn't even ask. But anyway, it's so good to have them here, and uh, he's going to sing in just a moment. When I found out that he was in, in groups and sang Southern Gospel music, I asked him, I said, you got you to sing. I just kind of made an executive decision. I'm just going to go ahead and put it that way. So looking forward to that, but also more looking forward to the word that he brings this morning. Uh, and uh, let me pray over you, brother, and turn you loose. Father, thank you for this day and all of your many blessings. Um, We thank you, Lord, for just how you uh, give us grace and peace through Jesus uh, to go about our days and work and service for you. Uh, Father, and I thank you for this gentleman who has served for so long, uh, not only here in in our states, but in his work with the Indian Christian Mission overseas. Uh, Father, it... uh, it's a wonderful thing when somebody just takes a hold of, of your ministry, both at home and, and abroad. And so I thank you that you're still using him, calling him uh, to go to India, and as well as to just keep up with the missions and share with those of us who have not been, uh, Lord, what is going on over there that we might be aware that you are moving. So Lord, just continue to bless that mission, bless his efforts as he goes, and he raises support for, for the missions. And bless our congregation this morning that we might feel compelled to, to give to that. Uh, offering and, and, and feel compelled to become a part in prayer too of what's going on over there. But Lord, also bless the word that he brings this morning. May it be your words and not his. For Lord, your word speaks for itself. And so just use this servant to, to bring it to our minds and to our attention that the clarity that we receive might be from you, Lord. And we thank you for your word that both comforts and convicts and pray that it does so this morning in the name of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. Amen. Yes, sir. Is this going to make me sound as good as she did? (laughs) I I, I feel prettier already. (laughs) Go ahead. Mountains look so high from the valley And it seems like I've been here for so long There are days it seems I've been forgotten But you give the grace to press on I must confess and I've known disappointment But somehow I'm still here And you're still God Lord, I know you've held me Through each moment And I have learned your grace Is enough So on the mountains walk with me in the valleys deep remind me in the hard times i have promises to keep for life is hard for everyone with battles fought and lost and won 
But when all is said and done, find me faithful. Miracles don't show up without heartbreak. But if this is the cross that I must bear, I will stay the course and keep on trusting. Lord, you have proven you won't leave me there. So on the mountains walk with me and in the valleys deep. Remind me in the hard times I have promises to keep. Cause life is hard for everyone With battles fought and lost and won But when all is said and done Find me faithful Cause life is hard for everyone With battles fought and lost and won but when all is said and done, find me faithful, find me faithful. green light here. There we got it. Yeah, we got it. There we got it. He's right on top of it. Good, good, good. Thank you so much for letting me come and share with you today about CICM. Uh, I had no idea in all the arrangements that I made until I um, uh, got here last night and we were talking around that wonderful supper that Cody fixed for us. Um, and uh, we, we were talking about it. I had no idea that this was uh, First Christian Church from downtown, uh, where uh, um, I came for a revival with the quartet out of Bible College uh, 47 years ago now, uh, 1972, that's, that's, um, that's a fur piece, and uh, so it's, uh, a lot of things uh, have happened since then, and a great change here, but I remember what a great time we had then, and we've had a great time here sharing together today. Turn to John, the fourth chapter. And we're going to focus primarily on John 4, 27 through 35. And then we're going to step over to the passage that the preacher shared in our prayer time this morning from Matthew, the ninth chapter, for a little bit of this message. Uh, I've taken the title out of this John 4 passage, uh, Open Your Eyes and Look at the Fields. Now, Cody told me that he'd been uh, going through a series here about discipleship and reaching out and making disciples and sharing the message of the gospel. That's what the Lord has called us to do. And I want to share this passage here for a few minutes with you. Now, uh, I know that uh, we're probably not going to make that 12 o'clock hours, but I'm not going to try to run too far back, uh, past that. Um, the only fellow that I know here that's in a hurry to get out of here today is Gene McClure. Uh, he told me that when he got done today, he had some mechanic work that he had to do. Um, 
the, I think that's what he was talking about. He was talking about putting the rear end in the recliner. Uh, I, I think, I think, <laughs> I think, I think that's mechanic work that uh, that he was um, that he was talking. <laughs> How do I get from there to here? Um, in John four verses one through twenty six, there is a compelling story that takes place there of Jesus' encounter with the woman at the well. We call her outside the city of Sychar at the well of Jacob. Jesus has been in the the a Judean region. He's on his way back to Galilee. And the Bible says that he had to go through Samaria. Now, that's not true. Most Jews in those days did not go through Samaria. Uh, he, he could uh, uh, pass another way. If you look at your Bible map, you'll see the, the Dead Sea down here and the Sea of Galilee up here, the Jordan River running down to them. Now, most of the time, those going from the Judean area back to Galilee will cross over the Jordan River go past Samaria, then come back across the river and finish their journey on into the region of Galilee. Now, the reason they did that was a tremendous hatred for the Samaritans. The Samaritans, you remember, are the half Assyrian, half Jews that uh, came about during the Babylonian captivity. Remember when Nehemiah came back and those that were still there, the remnant that was there, wanted to help rebuild the walls. No, no, they weren't allowed to do that. And that, that wall of separation stayed there. Uh, in fact, any self-respecting Jew of that day would uh, go to the, preach, uh, to the priest rather, for uh, ceremonial cleansing if the shadow of a Samaritan passed over him. Uh, their, their hatred for the Samaritans was that intense. But the Bible said that Jesus had to go through Samaria. And as, going, as he goes through Samaria, boy, he teaches us a lot of lessons, doesn't he? Man, there's so much that he teaches us here about prejudice, about uh, all kinds of barriers, about evangelism, uh, about inclusion, all kinds of things that Jesus teaches us here about uh, the, the work that he came to do and the work that he wants us to do in his behalf. I want us to look at some powerful lessons that we learn when the, woman, when the disciples rather come back from the city of Sychar with food for the Lord. You remember during that time, Jesus has been talking to her, and uh, they talked about, you know, how about Jesus, how about giving me uh, some, some water? And uh, she's surprised. You know, he's a man, she's a woman, he's a Jew, she's a Samaritan. Uh, she's there by herself, which you know, obviously brands her as a, a social and a moral outcast. She's really surprised that Jesus speaks to her. And Jesus said, well, if you knew who I was, you'd, you'd be asking me for water. And uh, she said, well, how are you going to give me water? You don't have uh, a bucket. You don't have anything to give me water with. He said, well, I can give you water. You never thirst again. Then she becomes sarcastic. You know? <laughs> give me some of that water. You know, then I won't have to come back out here and tote water back for my family every day. Just give me a drink of that water. And Jesus tells her the, the, the punchline of this whole story, go tell your husband. And she says, I have no husband. Jesus said, you've spoken the truth. Now, truth is, you know, you've had five husbands, and the man you have now is not your husband. And their exchange goes on about who can worship and who can worship where and what true worship is and real worship is. But then she, she realizes, you know, I have encountered the Messiah. And back to the city she goes. And here come the disciples. 
And, you know, they don't ask, you know, why are you talking to him or why are you talking to her? But they wait when she leaves. They say, Rabbi, eat something. Because they knew he was tired, he was thirsty, he was hungry when they left, and those needs haven't been met. So now then they want him to meet those needs that he has. And he said, you know, I have food that you know nothing about. And they wonder, well, you know, could somebody have brought him food? Did he find some other source? And so he said, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and finish his work. That's my food. That's what's most important to me. And that's how Jesus responded there to the needs of the woman. And then Jesus gestures toward the crowd that's coming out from the city of Sychar to encounter him. He gestures toward them and he says to them, you know, look at the fields. Look at the fields. They're white under harvest. Now, most Bible commentators believe he's, just, he's referring, he's using a grain reference here to the crowd that's coming out, the crowd that's coming out. Look at that whitened harvest field that's there. Look at all the harvest that is ready to be harvested. Open your eyes and look at the fields. There are three things that I want to draw from this passage today, and I want you to take with you from here and think about and pray about and look at, meditate on for the next day or so in your quiet time. The first thing I want you to see in this passage is how people respond to the news of his presence. I want you to see how people respond to the news of the presence of Jesus. Now, this woman comes out by herself because, as I said, she's a social and a moral outcast. But she goes back into the city, and you know they may not have wanted to talk to her, and they may not have wanted to hear what she had to say, but she goes back unrestrained, she goes back unashamed, she goes back uninhibited, and she says, come see a man who told me everything that I've ever done. Now, that makes you wish that you could pull up Paul Harvey from back in the day and hear the rest of the story, doesn't it? Uh, because uh, you, you wonder what all happened. All we know is that Jesus said, you've had five husbands, and the man you have now is not your husband. But she said, come see a man who told me everything, everything. Now, my good friend Ralph Sproles, years ago, when Life magazine was alive, uh, Ralph had a big copy. Remember, Life magazine was a big magazine. And uh, he had a copy of it, and it had a full-page picture on the front of Liz Taylor back in her heyday. And the headlines on the front in big red letters said, Liz tells all. And Ralph held that magazine up, and he showed it when he was up there. He said, now, I knew this was a lie just as soon as I saw it. He said, because she can't even remember it all. You know, must, <laughs> must less tell it all. Now, that's the kind of woman that you're talking about here that has encountered Jesus. And Jesus says, you know, come, uh, she says about Jesus, come see a man who told me everything that I've ever done. Could this be the Messiah? And because of the testimony of her changed life, the crowd starts out to make its way to see and to meet the Lord Jesus and to encounter him. People will still respond to the news of his presence. And the, the greatest testimony, the greatest weapon that we have to reach the world for the Lord is the testimony of a changed life. You know, when people see that people are being transformed in First Christian Church, you know, they're going to want to come to First Christian Church to encounter Jesus. 
because they know he's there. They know he's working. They know he's making a difference in people. They see the difference that comes in people's lives when they come here, when they worship, and when they encounter the Lord. People will still respond to the news of his presence. You know, they'll still come and they'll still respond when they see the difference that Jesus makes in people. On my first trip to India in 1984, I met a man named Mayor Singh. He's a skinny little preacher, uh, older man even then. And uh, Mayor Singh passed away in 2015, uh, one of my, my best friends uh, over there in the Indian work. But Mayor Singh was a, a wiry little old fella and a fiery little old fella as well. And uh, he went to this village to preach. Now, the village chief was a young, robust guy, not a real big guy, but a real strong, muscular fella uh, named Narang Nag. Narang had a great big toothy smile that would just light up the room when he smiled. Uh, he was very dark-skinned for an Indian man. But uh, Narang told Mayor Singh, there will be no preaching in my village. Just get out of here with this gospel. I, I don't want you here. And so Mayor Singh just moved to another part of the village and started preaching again. Narang came again, told him to leave. Uh, and Mayor Singh went around to another place and started. He came again and got him. That time, uh, Narang had some men with him. And they escorted him out of town and told him, hit the road, keep going. And so they waited until he got down the road and over this hill. And when he got out of sight, they went back in the village. And, and Mayor Singh circled around uh, out of sight and came back in the village to another place and started preaching again. And, and when the word got around to Narang again, he came this time with their weapon of choice, a, a stick or a club is what he had. And he came up behind Mayor Singh while he was preaching hit him over the head and knocked him to the ground and started to beat him with that stick and kick him in the ribs and in the stomach just as hard as he could. And Mayor Singh started to pray out loud, Father, forgive him. He does not know what he's doing. Father, forgive him. He does not know what he's doing. And it just stopped Narang in his tracks. He said, oh, man, don't, don't you know that I intend to kill you? He said, yes, but God loves you and will forgive you. Jesus loves you and will forgive you. I love you and will forgive you. And Narang couldn't beat him anymore. He helped him to his feet, and he took him to his house, started taking care of his wounds, talking with him. And he said, oh, man, I want you to tell me about this God that can make you pray for me when I'm intending to kill you. He said, I want you to tell me about this God that can make that kind of a difference in your life. And over the next week or so, uh, Mayor Singh taught Narang more fully. He was baptized, and because he was the village chief, lots of other people came and started listening. Mayor Singh kept teaching them. Then Narang started teaching some of them, and they kept baptizing people there in that village. And, and Narang just became a fiery evangelist for the Lord. And he went to Demo and went to the Bible College and was trained as an evangelist, baptized thousands of people, and helped to establish a whole bunch of village churches around that Bosna district and that Bosna area. Now, he died from a massive heart attack, sadly, at the age of 44 years old. But in those years since his conversion, he had won thousands of people to the Lord Jesus Christ, all because of the testimony of a changed life. And, and the power that Jesus made in Mayor Singh's life, and then the difference that it made in his life. 
he went from being a persecutor to being a preacher, much like the Apostle Paul. And when people see that kind of a difference, when they witness that kind of a change in people, they're drawn to that. Brother Ajay Law went into South India to preach, and uh, the chief of police told him, if you come here and preach, there will be too much trouble, too much uprising. You're not going to preach in my town. And so Ajay took the legal position that, look, we have the freedom to do that. You can't tell me that I can't come here and preach. And so the chief of police told him, he said, all right, we'll set up your tent. We'll have you ready to preach. He said, you come, fix your platform. And he said, uh, put your stand up there. And he said, I'll sit on the back of the platform, and I'm going to have five officers in front of you with their guns ready. And he said, if you say anything that I don't like, or you say anything that I think will incite a riot among the people, I'm going to give the signal and you'll be shot on the spot. Now, if you want to see a documentary of this, you can find it online. It's called Binding Faith. It's called Binding Faith. It's a story of it. And um, R.J. told that story of how he got up and preached after he talked to his family. He got up and preached, and when he got finished, that man walked up beside him and put his arm around his shoulder and said, I think our government should take this man. And he said he paused a little bit, and Ajay said his heart was just right here. He didn't know what he was going to say. But he said, I think our government should take this man and have him preach this message in every town and village in all of India. And he said, you're welcome to come here and teach and preach any time that you want to. And that church took off in a flourish because people saw firsthand the difference that Jesus can make in a person's life and the change that it can bring about. And, and you can find documentation of that. There was a woman that heard Ajay tell that story. She was an Indian woman that was in the States, and she heard Ajay tell that story, and she went to her class the next day at a college, and she told her professor, she said, that guy's just lying. Said, he's coming. He said, nothing like that happened to him. Said, I'd be willing to bet you. And she was studying communications and filmmaking. And so her professor said, let's prove him to be a liar. Let's, let's, let's show that he's a sham. Said, you take a crew and you go to India and make a, an expose of him. Let's, let's, let's show who he really is. So she took all of her crew. The, the professor was an atheist. She took all the crew and she went to India she did all of her investigations. She called the professor back, and she said, this guy's legit. said that his story is true. He said, I've investigated. He said, it's absolutely true. He said, well, you're already there, and you got all the film crew. <laughs> he said, let's make a documentary, <laughs> and uh, let's show the world. You know, he said, this is amazing. It's amazing. Let's make a documentary for him. And that university and that student, that young student, won a whole bunch of literary awards that year, for the documentary that she made called Binding Faith. And lots of people have been one to the Lord through the witness and the power of that because they see the difference that Jesus can make in a person's life. You know, people will still respond to the news of his presence. Secondly, I want you to look in that passage and see how Jesus responds to the needs of people. How Jesus responds, remember when he sat down there, he was thirsty. He was tired. He was hungry. They went in to get him some food and bring it back. They come back. The woman goes into town to share her testimony. And they come back, and they're saying, Rabbi, eat something. Eat something. You know, take care of those needs. And Jesus said, I have food that 
you know nothing about. My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Open your eyes and look at the fields. You see, Jesus put his needs on the back burner. Jesus was willing to defer his spiritual, I mean, his physical needs to the spiritual needs of that massive crowd that was on their way out there. If you look at the passage that Brother Cody used this morning in Matthew, the ninth chapter, uh, I, I love several things about that passage. First of all, it shows us the ministry of Jesus. It said that he went to all the towns and all the villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing all kinds of diseases. There's the ministry of Jesus. And I think also the ministry of the church, teaching, preaching, and healing. His teaching ministered to their ignorance. His preaching ministered to their indifference. And his healing ministered to their infirmities. Now, all of those needs taken care of by the ministry of Jesus. I think that's what the church needs to be doing today. But now, when we talk about burnout and stress today and all the things that are on us, can you imagine trying to keep the pace that Jesus kept in his ministry? All the pulls and all the demands that were made on him. But it said when he saw the crowds, he was moved with compassion on them. He had compassion on them. And that word is translated into our English word, compassion, is the word, Greek word that literally means to come alongside of. In other words, he could translate their uh, experience into his own feelings. He was moved with compassion for them. He didn't say, send them away. I don't want to be bothered. Nothing like that. Jesus said, open your eyes, guys, and look at the fields. And he told them in that Matthew 9 passage, you know, the harvest is plentiful. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. How do we respond to the needs of people? How do we respond when we see those who are in just such abject poverty or those who are physically suffering? You know, how do we respond to the needs of people? Do we take the blessings that God has given to us and share those blessings with others who are less fortunate? You know, we have to stop and examine our lives and see how Jesus responded to the needs of people and say, you know, am I responding the same way? Are we as a church responding the same way? Are we busy teaching and preaching and healing? You know, are we meeting the needs of people around us? And one last thing I want us to see this morning, I want you to see how people respond to the news of his presence. People will still come where Jesus can be found. And we can see here how Jesus responded to the needs of people. They were saying, Rabbi, eat something. He was saying, you know, I've got food that you don't know anything about. Open your eyes and look at the fields. And that brings us to the last thing I want us to see. I want you to look at how we're responding to the nature of the plea that Jesus gives. His plea here in the John 4 passage is open your eyes and look. Open your eyes and look at the fields. Now, if you do that, that's an overwhelming experience, I can promise you. If you go to India, look, I grew up in, in Clark County in Berryville, Virginia. That's where I graduated from high school. And I uh, grew up as a farm boy there, born uh, right across the line in West Virginia. 
but uh, uh, that's, that's the area that I grew up in. And you're talking about country, come to town, when, when somebody like me had to make a missions trip to India. Now, I just, the, the most overwhelming thing is just the mass of humanity. Just the numbers, just the sheer numbers of people. If you take the United States, and you're looking at the map, you take from the Mississippi River to the Atlantic Ocean. In the continental United States, you've got India. That's about the size of the landmass. But take that space and put 1.3 billion people in it. And you see the tremendous sea of humanity that you see when you get there. And I don't care whether it's morning hours, uh, middle of the morning hours, <laughs> whatever it is, day or night, you know, there's just people everywhere. And all I could hear as a preacher when I was there was Mark's account of the Great Commission. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. That's Mark's account of the Great Commission. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. And you just keep seeing all those folks and you think every creature. God wants them all to hear. Now that's just as overwhelming if you would get in your car today or any day and ride up and down the roads right here, Albemarle County, Charlottesville, all through this whole region. Don't exclude anybody because of their race or their wealth or any, any other reason. Every person that you see, every house you go by, every residence that you see, remind yourself, God wants them all to hear. God wants them all to hear. That's what Jesus is asking us. He's saying, open your eyes and look at the fields. And his plea over in that Matthew 9 chapter is the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Can you finish that? Ask the Lord of the harvest to send forth laborers or workers into his harvest field. Open your eyes and look at the fields and pray for laborers to go to work in that field. And when you pray that prayer, don't be surprised if God puts you in that position of service and labor. God expects all of us to go where we can and send where we can't go. That's what we need to be doing in mission work. We need to be going to the places that we can go and sending people to the places that we can't go. We need to be reaching people with the gospel of Christ. How do we respond to the, the nature of his plea? And people, you know, I've heard people say, well, we, we could never reach all of India for Christ. We could never reach all of the world for Christ. But try this when you get home. I heard it years ago, didn't believe it, went home and got somebody to help me with the numbers on it that was way better at math than I was. And, and it's the truth. And it's what Ignite is based on. You'll see that brochure in Central India Christian Mission. They have a, a mission they call Ignite that's trying to reach people for the Lord Jesus Christ in 25 years. Uh, the whole world can be one to the Lord in one generation. If you have one Christian, and in 12 months wins one Christian, you got two, right? Next 12 months, those two win two more. Next 12 months, those four win 
eight more, win four more. You, you know, you, you're not getting very far very fast, but keep running those figures. Each one, reach one every year, every 12 months. And in 50 years, the world population could be one to Christ. In 50 years, in one generation. God didn't give us an impossible task. Uh, it, it can be done if we will go with the message of the gospel, if we will open our eyes and look at the fields, and if we will ask the Lord of the harvest to send forth workers into his harvest fields. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the clarity of your word, and thank you for the mission that you give us as your church. I pray, Father, that you'll bless us today, that we'll be able to see that people will still respond to the news of his presence, that we'll have the testimony of changed lives and people that Jesus has taken over their lives. I pray that you'll help us, Father, to see how Jesus responded to the needs of people with compassion, and you'll help us to respond the same way. And I pray that you'll help us to hear the words of Jesus in our hearts and in our lives. And we'll do what he says when he says, open your eyes, look at the fields, and ask the Lord of the harvest to send workers into those fields. Thank you, Father, for the witness that goes forth from this place here in Virginia. Thank you for the long shadow that this church is casting around the world. Help each of us, Father, to serve you to our very fullest. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If you're here today and you want to name Jesus as your Lord and Savior, we want to encourage you to come. It's not our invitation. It's the invitation of Jesus. We encourage you to accept it, but it's his invitation to you to come to him. We encourage you to come and confess your faith in him, repent of your sins. You can be buried with him in Christian baptism for the forgiveness of your sins and receiving of the gift of the Holy Spirit. Or to come asking for prayer from the congregation or praying for some need in your life or the leaders of the church to pray for you. Or to rededicate your life to the Lord. Or maybe you want to give your life to the service of the Lord in some fashion. Whatever it might be, we're going to sing together and Cody's going to be here to receive you to talk with you and to pray with you. Come while we stand together and while we sing.